Worship its dangers and delights next. Jesus says there is now a time when we will worship God in spirit and in truth. He tells that to the woman at the well. What does that mean for you and I today? Welcome, this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. We're continuing our survey of John and we find ourselves in chapter four, verse 23, as well as Matthew chapter 15, verses seven through eight. As we take a look at the joy and delight and the dangers of worship, with today's edition of Truth For Today Now, once again, Pastor Phil Howard. There's some of you folks, you love the term eternal security. You got it, forever saved. Let me tell you, it was never developed as eternal security. It was developed as true saints will persevere until the end. But if you knew anything about church history, everyone from a Jonathan Edwards to the Puritans, all they preached every Sunday like there were people there that may not finish the journey. They can fall away from the living God. And I read Hebrews. I'm up to chapter 9. I was just reading through it again. And as I was reading it, I thought, I want to let the people know. I'd like for you to be here with us tonight. It's not as much fun to only have five. We have pretty good turnout. But I just thought, what? It could be an egomaniac pastor. I want you to be here to hear me preach. No, if I wasn't preaching and we were just going to sing, greet one another, and take the Lord's Supper, we would have worship. We'd meet around the Lord. I don't have to preach. It's a great break when I don't preach. Uh, I don't have to be up twice on Sunday. Well, three times. But look at what it says here. We need to be exhorted lest we be deceived by sin. I think he was writing to believers. Can you be deceived by sin and picked off by this world so that your joy is snuffed? You're being, maybe you're being set up for temptation. We actually have some months here where our people fall into gross sin before the month is over. You didn't know that, did you? It happens. It happens in this church. We're trying to Tell people you shouldn't sleep with that woman. You're not married to her. You, you shouldn't be on pornography. You should stop cussing. You ought to quit stealing on your job. You need to quit looking over that secretary. You're in a real world. I believe you're that. Un, I think you're that depraved. You still battle with that. So when we meet, we're not meeting to play church and just take an offering. We're trying to help you finish. We want to talk to your heart. And plead with you, don't drop your eyes off of Jesus and don't let this world set you up. Don't let it destroy your marriage, destroy your children. Two, uh, we gather that we might have a place to greet, love, help one another. Uh, we're supposed to meet to stimulate one another to love and good works because we're all in the danger of losing our first love. Have you ever been where you think, I don't love him like I did last year? That you fell away from loving him? Well, there's something about corporate meeting that stimulates that. One another say, hey, man, don't you love him? 
And you're in your heart, you're thinking, well, I really don't a whole lot. Right now, I'm running from him. And a brother or sister could say, you ought to run toward him. I've been where you are. Let me tell you how I got back. See, if you didn't come in here and sit like wooden Indians and hope nobody would talk to you, you could have that kind of dynamic. You just come in here and say, leave me alone. I'm going to church. Let me tell you, when you come here, we get to mess with you. We're going to say, how are you doing in prayer? How are you doing? Hey, how are you doing with temptation? Well, it's none of your business. And I've had people tell us that before. They no longer attend. We're not here to be quiet about your spiritual life. And we have a biblical right to get nosy. That's why they call us bishops. Episcopos. You know, listen to the word scopos. Microscope. Tell us scope. And when you put an epi on it, it means you can look into somebody's life and say, you're diseased. I'm looking at this sheep. You've got a problem, and I've got a biblical mandate to mess with your life. Because I'm looking for infection. I'm looking for what might make you sick. That's why we didn't get our job description from you. We got it from God. We gather to stimulate one another to good works so that we might fight laziness in spiritual things. Lazy about prayer, lazy about giving, lazy about family devotions, lazy about evangelism, lazy. My, we fight it all the time. Some of you can't. You know why you don't have a prayer life? You can't get blanket victory. You don't know how to get out of bed 20 minutes early. It's that simple. Uh, we must not follow those who've given up the habit of meeting is. The closer the day gets, and isn't it interesting the closer we think we are to the coming of the Lord, whatever it is, the easier it is to program church for the culture, and we're all too blasted tired to show up to be stimulated for good works. We're not tired serving God, usually. You just mowed the lawn too much yesterday. Even think about today. What did you do to prepare your heart to worship today? Keep on. This isn't the sermon. This is free. If I can make you mad, maybe the sermon will help you. Um, we need to hear the Word of God taught, preached, and sung, that it might admonish, teach, and edify each other. Uh, did you know one of the reasons we sing? Two reasons you sing. You sing to God, about God, and you sing to one another. And when you sing to one another, what you're supposed to be singing is that which admonishes them, Colossians 3.16, and that teaches them and stimulates them. So we sing to and about the living God, and then we sing to one another to stimulate you just by our singing. Now tonight, since I, wanna, I can't get past this worship theme in John 4, so I'm reaching back to deal with it again. But tonight, I'm going to just do a, an overview that I often do in Timothy just a touching the hem of God's garment. I'm going to give a Bible study. We're going to just have Bible study tonight on who is the God we worship. It's hard to worship someone you can't describe, that you don't know anything about. So tonight we're going to hand out notes and charts, and we're going to spend probably 45, 50 minutes just outlining some broad strokes, God's nature, God's essence, God's attributes, uh, I'll do in one night what I 
did in 18 weeks every day in seminary. And no charge except a heavy offering. Uh, no, we don't want heavy offerings. We want light offerings. Uh, cash is light. Uh, and so uh, tonight, that's where we're going. You're slow. That's okay. I, I don't mind that. I want you to look at three verses with me. Uh, then I will dive into the subject of what is worship. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Meditate today on why go to church. Tonight, everyone is going to make a decision on whether you come or not. Some have already said, no, I'm not. It's not in my life. And you might be in the process of backsliding. If you're cold, if you're struggling, you ought to come and be stimulated. And you don't know all of Valley. I'm sorry we don't meet all the time because we're two churches. We're a morning church and we're an evening church. When we met in the evening, the evening services could not be topped. Sunday morning, you can crawl in and run out. But Sunday night, folks, family life would jump on you. You'd be much more emotional, much more stimulating, much more family. Sunday morning, we've got to get you in, get you out, get you home. Not Sunday night. Look at Matthew 4. Satan comes and tempts Christ. And he says in verse 9, after showing him all the kingdoms of this world and their splendor, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It was Chesterton who said, when a man walks away from the worship of God, it's not that he stops worshiping. It's that he will now worship anything. If God is not the object of your worship, you won't find it insane to worship an animal, to worship money, a relationship, uh, kiss a snake. If you follow Romans 1 and the idolatry there, to kiss a piece of stone and to spend all day Sunday shining your idol called a car. You'll worship something. And, but he said, Thou shalt, the Son of God said, There is no other option for me as the Son but to worship the Father. Now look in chapter 15 when he's talking to hypocritical religionists. Hypocrites go to church. And it's a good place. They might be able to be saved. They never get saved at a parking lot. They get saved being around people who are saved, right? So if you're a hypocrite, we're glad to have you. And I just pray that you'll come to Christ. Watch what he says in verse 7. He was taking on the sin of uh, when your mother and father need help. And you say, no, my money's dedicated to the temple and he's, he's exposing that sin. And so then he says, verse 7, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. So to honor God was to worship God and he warns of this horrendous 
possibility of church folks, that you could be doing externalities without heart engagement. You could be going through what looks good motions, external behavior that would give you credit. Boy, they really love God. They really know God. And it is so lethal. I might be preaching as a hypocrite today. I may not believe a word I say, but I got to look good for the moment because you know it's my job. The bonus, the reality is, is my heart engaged in what I'm doing towards the living God? Sometimes your heart can be engaged and you preach a lousy sermon. You just couldn't put it together. You didn't have the four R's and three poems and three jokes. Well, I am the joke, so I don't need to tell them. See, I am just what I am. But I've preached some lousy sermons while I was in the middle of worship. What really counted between God and I was the condition of my heart. And there's been times I think I've preached wow, and I'm not sure my heart was quite there. I fight it all the time. It's easy to be a hypocrite when you're a preacher because you've got to look good all the time. And it's easy to be a hypocrite this morning and kind of move your lips around and you call it a song service. So was your heart engaged? Was there anything you would do this morning that engages a vertical connection with God? So he warns us, and we'll pick that up later. And then we go back to John where he, nine times the word is worship is used in John 4. And Christ gives us that astounding revelation in verse 22. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. And do you think idolatrous worship is that? Absolutely. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Let me hang my thoughts on the letter D. Let me give you a definition of worship. We'll try to unpackage that more tonight. Uh, let me then tell you and explain some of the dangers connected with worship. And then uh, just underscore worship is a duty. It's given to us as a duty. And finally, it ought to be a delight. I want to define it. I want to warn you of the dangers connected with it. I want to tell you that it's a duty commanded to us, and it should become our delight. So maybe that will help us. What does uh, worship really mean? Well, uh, the main Hebrew word that was carried over to the New Testament was the word to always bow down, bow down. And it's found in the Gospels. It's the primary word in the bow down and worship the Lord. You shall worship the Lord. And it was bowed down. And the idea was you uh, acknowledged the majesty of the person you were bowing to. It was your way to show their magnificence, 
honor. And so it had a physical connotation. Bow down. Uh, the Hebrew children were told to bow down to the idol. But when you get in the New Testament, this word is used of when the men bowed to Christ. And it's a little word, proskuneo. It's sometimes it's translated to kiss. It's used that way in Psalms 2.8. Kiss the son. Kiss the, and it meant go toward and show affection, show uh, honor to them. Or physically bow down. The word is absent from the epistles. It's not used that way of worshiping. It's used in Revelation when the elders are bowing down. It's used when they bowed to Christ. But in the epistles, it goes away. And why? Because worship is going to turn from externalities to an inward connection with God. Um, Worship has the concept of awe. I don't say things are awesome unless I'm talking about God. And that was an awesome hamburger. Oh, baloney. Never ate an awesome hamburger in my life. And that was awesome. See, it used to be only of God. But we've cheapened holy language. Don't be saying to a person, well, praise the Lord. Cut out religious cliches. It's easy for us in the church to do it. It's, it becomes taking God's name in vain. Um, but it meant awe, adoration, acknowledgement of. And uh, if you can just say A, you can get it. Uh, it's taken from the Hebrew word kavod. And what it meant is our God is of substance. He's weighty. Uh, when they talked to Belshazzar at the feast, he said, Thou art weighed and found, in Hebrew, found light. Not bud light, you're found light. There's no substance to you, Belshazzar. Our God will break the scale. There's no scale that can heavy him. He's got too much substance. He is weighty. He is to be feared. He is to be revered. You're not dealing with light stuff here. He's heavy. And we use that as a vernacular. Man, that's heavy. And we're saying, I don't understand. It's beyond me. And you've gone to multiplication. You know, but when God, he is weighty. You can't contain the full of what he is. Kavod. It came to be used not only of what one was internally, it became used of how they manifested themselves, their effulgence, their uh, glory would be the word. So when God manifests himself at Sinai, when God would shine, when God would make a mountain move or lightning and thunder, he was showing his glory, his substance, his power to his creatures. One of the ways he says God gets glory is when his creatures acknowledge what he is. We call it praise. You are great in power. If you said that, that's praise. You are great in knowledge. You are the absolute superlative of everything that's great, great in wealth, great in wisdom, great in power, great in love. If anything is virtuous, uh, kind, great, he is the utmost of it. 
That's why your greatest pleasures can only be found in the most superlative being, which is God. Everything else is toys down here. You're just tampering with stuff. Why don't you plunge into the Godhead if you want pleasure? You act like this God can't satisfy your little heart. He can make it explode. You know, I, I've tasted of God, but I still hunger for Egypt. No, those were the grumblers that didn't know God that were just going along on the journey. And they got killed off in 40 years. And that's what God has to do with a lot of stragglers in church. Kill them off. Let them die. Those who know God don't want the leek and garlic of an old life. They've tasted of something better. And so when you talk about defying God... Uh, uh, let me just give you something. I looked up a, a worship guy uh, that teaches music, and, and he did a little thing on how God is worshipped, and he just came up with 50 ways in the Psalms. Let me ask you this. As I read this list, tell me if you did. As I read the list, and if you did it today, raise your hand at that point. They worship. How many worship today? Wow. Better than I thought. Good. I was totally mad at you. <laughs> two, praise. Did you say anything about God in your heart? That was two of him. Exult in. Extol. Magnify. Thank. Love. Rejoice. Glorify. Exalt. Serve. Stand in awe. Fear. Bless. Shout for joy. Kevin's the only one that does this in our church. A few of our black folks. May their tribe multiply. I mean, you, most boring churches I've gone to are conservative. You're a boring bunch to preach to if you're a straight conservative. Mm. Because God is only to be taken seriously. Well, why did he say shout? For joy. He didn't just say shout. You do that with your wife. This is for joy. Now, if one person does that, I'd have them sit down and say, Kevin, be quiet. They're not with it. This isn't the right place. But wouldn't it be something if we had times when the congregation said the only place we could take how we feel about a God we're extolling and exulting in and getting a grasp on is, I just want to shout for joy. He is great and mighty. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Closing out our time together today, we would remind you that copies of the broadcast, as always, are available. If you would like to review them at your convenience or use them in a small group study, pass along to a friend or family member. Again, simply contact us here at Truth For Today, and we'll make sure that you get a copy. The entire series is available as well. And throughout the month of August, as you become a TFT sustainer with a gift of any amount, we have a very special gift we'd like to send your way with a little bit more about it. Our teacher and pastor once again, here's Pastor Phil Howard. The book of Ruth is the amazing story of a family where suffering under famine and it looks like a posterity was going to be eliminated. But behind the scenes, God had planned to bring the Redeemer through this family. But there's a marvelous truth, and that was if a Redeemer was to help a fellow family member, they had to be able to pay the price, and they had to be a kinsman. 
And in this beautiful requirement, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will come out of the Lion of Ruth and out of the Lion of David, he comes, he becomes our kinsman, according to Hebrews 2. He becomes our brother. He comes and he says, I'm willing. I will not redeem you with bulls and lambs, but with my own precious blood. He comes and he says, what the first man would not do, Adam, he was not willing to buy the girl that was widowed and in dire straits. He said, I love her. And because love will pay the price, love will find a way. And so we see a beautiful sketch in the book of Ruth of great, great avenues of redemption that will be unveiled in the rest of Scripture. The Romance of Redemption, a marvelous look at the book of Ruth, and it is yours for a gift of any amount this month, our way of saying thank you for being a TFT sustainer. Now, by the way, as you contact us and become a TFT sustainer on a regular basis, some of the other resources available to you are our quarterly newsletter, our once-a-year special gift, and take a break with Pastor Phil. It's the weekly video devotional that we have available. And again, that is for our TFT sustainers. No matter how big or how small the gift on a monthly basis, it's our way of saying thank you for partnering with us and allowing us the opportunity to continue the ministry of Truth For Today right here on KFAX. You can reach us at 855-833-9864 or valleybible.org. You can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278. We're here in Hercules. The zip code is 94547. Thank you so much for joining us today. And until next time, May the Lord richly bless you.